0: And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these first, Simon, who's called Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Um, so my in-laws live out in Wilson, and uh, out where they live, uh, they live out uh, in a bunch of farmland. Um, On their particular road, there's acres and acres of farmland, and so I take my son there a couple times a week uh, while we're at work, and so it's interesting to just kind of see kind of the progression of how things are planted, and I remember last year, like spring, early summer, uh, seeing these plants just kind of sprouting up and kind of uh, you could see the one that, you know, turned into corn, and that was pretty clear. But then there was another plant where there was just acres and acres of it, but I couldn't tell exactly what kind of a plant it was. Um, and so I'm just kind of watching it, seeing how it's growing. Uh, and then finally I realized it's cabbage. So you get to the end of the fall, or end of the summer, early fall, and uh, there's just these big, green, purplish heads of, of cabbage Um, and I remember one day driving by, and there was this big cart, and there were a bunch of workers that were picking the cabbage, uh, throwing it into this big cart, and it was just enormous. Um, And so I'm thinking they're going to come back the next day, and they're going to get the rest of it. Um, But I came back day after day, and nobody got the rest of it. They probably picked maybe a tenth of what was there, and so there was acres and acres and acres of cabbage that just, Rotted out in the field. Uh, I have no idea why it rotted. I don't know why they didn't pick it. Um, One explanation, maybe they didn't have the help to do it. Maybe they ran out of time. Uh, I know it's a huge problem in the agriculture industry uh, where, you know, it's hard to find good help and it's hard to find laborers to pick the fruit and millions and millions of pounds of fruit and vegetables go to waste each year because they're not picked. They just simply rot in the field. Um, And it's tragic because, you know, there's so much effort that's put into growing these things. You know, the planting, the watering, the weeding, all the things that are necessary to grow plants. Uh, It's also tragic because, you know, there's people in in some places that are are struggling, that are hungry. And yet, all this food goes to waste. Uh, In this passage that we're looking at today, uh, Jesus talks about this idea of, of a harvest that isn't harvested. He talks about people who are spiritually the harvest, who uh, people who are maybe open and willing to the work of God. They're not militant atheists, but nobody has taken the time and energy to invest in them. People who are lost, describe, he describes them as being harassed and helpless. These people are people who maybe maybe they've never heard the gospel, or more often in our culture, maybe they've never seen the gospel. You know, they know the story. You know, Jesus died on the cross, rose again. We have to believe in him. Maybe they know that story, but they've never seen that lived out. They've never seen a clear example of someone who's lived out the reality of the gospel in their life. Maybe they've never had someone that was praying for them. Maybe they've never had someone who sh- took the time to share the gospel with them. Uh, maybe, there's, maybe they've never experienced someone who just kind of reached out of their own comfort zone and showed them love. And so Jesus says spiritually there's a harvest that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. People who don't have a relationship with God, not because they've rejected him, but because no one has reached out to them. No one has taken in the harvest. And Jesus talks about this problem in this passage about a lack of workers, a lack of laborers, or uh, the other image he uses is the lack of shepherds. And we're kind of focus on that idea of shepherds. Um, and that the, the idea of laborers, we're kind of interchanged with that as well. And so we learn a number of things about shepherds or laborers in this passage. The first is that good shepherds or good laborers are hard to find. Good shepherds or good laborers are hard to find. So first, what is a shepherd? What does a shepherd do? A shepherd provides for the physical needs of the sheep. The shepherd leads the sheep to fresh water, leads the sheep to green pastures. The shepherd cares for the sheep. If the sheep should fall down into a ravine, the shepherd pulls the sheep up, bandages her leg. The shepherd protects the sheep. The shepherd is even willing to lay down his life at times for the sake of the sheep, to, to ward off a bear or a wolf who's threatening the sheep. When you think about a shepherd, the, the fundamental uh, attitude of being a shepherd is selflessness, that you're there for the sheep, you're there for others. But shepherds are hard to find in our day and age because we often live in a day of, of kind of absorption and self-promotion. A couple of writers named Gene Twange and Keith Campbell write this in the the book, The Narcissism Epidemic. They say, "...not only are there more narcissists than ever, but non-narcissistic people are seduced by the increasing emphasis on material wealth, physical appearance, celebrity worship, and attention-seeking. Standards have shifted, sucking otherwise humble people into the vortex of granite countertops, tricked-out MySpace pages, and plastic surgery." A popular dance track repeats the words money, success, fame, glamour over and over again, declaring that all other values have either been discredited or destroyed. They go on and say American culture's focus on self-admiration has caused a flight from reality to the land of grandiose fantasy. We have phony rich people with interest-only mortgages and piles of debt. Phony beauty with plastic surgery and cosmetic procedures. Phony athletes with performance enhancing drugs. Phony celebrities via reality TV and YouTube. Phony genius students with grade inflation. A phony national economy with 12 trillion of government debt. Phony feelings of being special among children with parenting and education focusing on self esteem. Phony friends with the social networking explosion. They write, all this fantasy might feel good, but unfortunately, reality always wins. The mortgage meltdown and the resulting financial crisis are just one demonstration of how inflated desires eventually crash to death. Another place this comes up, in in the last several years, last couple decades, there's been an explosion of books on the topic of happiness. Books like uh, Happy Money, Happiness for Beginners, The Happiness Advantage. Thousands and thousands of books have been written, written on happiness. But a, study, a recent study from a few years ago on happiness found that pursuing happiness may not actually lead to true joy. The authors of the study write, Happiness without meaning characterizes a relatively shallow, self-absorbed, or even selfish life in which things go well. Needs and desires are easily satisfied, and difficult or taxing entanglements are avoided. See, our culture often seeks happiness rather than meaning, receiving often more than giving. And so there's few shepherds, there's few people who really live for others, who reach out of their own bubble to care for other people. There are very few Christians who are shepherds to others. There are very few Christians who look outside of themselves. Most have the mantra of of the first murderer, Cain, who said, am I my brother's keeper? And in essence, the answer should be, yes, we are our brother's keeper. We should care for our brother and our sister who's struggling. We should reach, out, reach outside of ourselves to care for those around us. Oftentimes people will come to church, and when I say that, I don't mean our church because I don't think our church is like that, but oftentimes people will come to church and say, what's in it for me? I need to find a church that meets my needs. I need a church that fills me up. I need a church that, that meets me where I'm at. But here's the reality, the church doesn't exist to meet our needs the church exists to equip us to meet others needs I and mean, that's what the church is about it's not about us coming and being filled it's about being equipped so we can reach those around us with the gospel so good shepherds are hard to find because so many are focused on themselves and uh, this can kind of take two forms there's some that are just kind of you know just kind of in their own little world living for themselves and just kind of ob- oblivious to the needs of others And then there's others like the Pharisees and the tax collectors that Jesus references a lot in the book of Matthew who are the people who make the crowds harassed and helpless. They're people that just suck the life out of the people around them, just destroying everyone in their wake. So good shepherds, Jesus says, are hard to find. Second thing he shows us is that good shepherds are motivated by compassion. Jesus is, of course, the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And in the text it says that he saw the crowds and he had compassion for the people. Uh, Pastor Matt Woodley shares a time in his life where he was really struggling. He was dealing with a lot in his ministry life, and he was just kind of running on empty and feeling kind of depressed and kind of even questioning whether he wanted to be in ministry at all anymore. Um, and just, just really going through a dark time. He just kind of became cynical, and the people that he was praying for that, and, and trying to invest in weren't growing at the, at the rate that he was expecting them to. And so He was just in a bad place. And he went on vacation uh, to Libby, Montana, and he describes what happens, happened this way. He said, while I was reading and praying at an elementary school park, three children with bag lunches, dirty clothes, and dirt-streaked faces plopped themselves on the grass beside me. Before I could object or move, the oldest child launched into a complicated story of family dysfunction. He said, hi, my name is Deanna, and I'm 12. My sister is Christy, and she's 10. And Mikey, my brother, doesn't he look fat in his Lion King t-shirt? He's six. Actually, though we all have different dads, my dad is dead. Christy's dad disappeared. Mikey's dad beats him up. So our mom is divorcing the creep. My mom and her fiancé, fiance Larry, are at the casino because they need time alone. So she brought us all a barbecue burrito at the town pump and told us to stay in the park for two hours. Can we sit by you? He says, in order to be polite, I said yes, then asked if they lived in town. no. Deanna, the family spokesperson, answered again, We used to live in town, but my mom lost her job. I don't like living in a tent. By the way, what's your job? He said, Well, I'm a pastor. After a long silence, she asked, Mr. Pastor, can you tell me something? I've heard stories about Jesus walking around, healing people, loving people. Why doesn't he do that anymore? He says, I launched into a lecture on the incarnation." Three children simply stared at me with big, love-hungry eyes. I looked at Deanna and Christy with their limp burritos and fat little abused Mikey with barbecue sauce smeared in his Lion King t-shirt. I stopped lecturing. With tears welling in my eyes, I said, Deanna, Christy, Mikey, let me start over. Do you have any idea how much Jesus loves you right now? He says, how did God rebuild my call to ministry? He broke my heart with his love for these three children. Good shepherds love sheep. That's what Jesus did. His heart was moved with compassion for those who were lost, and he resolved to follow his his love, even if it led him to the cross. We're not simply driven by theological ideas. We're not driven by a message. We're driven by love for those around us. Shepherds are driven by love. Laborers are driven by love. By love. And that's what God calls each and every one of us to. So we're driven by compassion. The next thing Jesus says is that we're to earnestly pray for shepherds. We're to earnestly pray for shepherds. In the text Jesus tells his disciples pray earnestly, one Greek dictionary defines this word earnestly as ask for with urgency with the implication of presumed need to plead or to beg. To beg for shepherds to brag for laborers, to to harvest the harvest. What would cause us to have that kind of urgency for the lost? What would cause us to literally beg God to send out laborers? First, of course, our compassion, our love for the lost, that we see people who are like sheep without a shepherd, like Jesus saw, that they're helpless and harassed. People who are not militant atheists, people who have never seen the gospel lived out. Maybe they've gone to church Maybe they've been rejected. Maybe they've seen a the version of Christianity that's not in line with what Jesus taught. But they're lost. And so our compassion should lead us to call out to Christ for laborers, for shepherds, to reach the harvest. Second is The second reason we're to beg is because of the level of need in our world. There's so many people who need Christ. Uh, according to Josh, the Joshua Project, there are 7,425 unreached people groups in the world, meaning people groups that are not able to evangelize their own people, people groups who are in need of missionaries. This represents 3.37 billion people, or 40, 42.5% of the world's population. That kind of need requires a lot of shepherds, a lot of laborers, means we can't do the task ourselves. Even if you zoom down even into North Tonawanda. Think about North Tonawanda. The latest um, estimates I had for uh, the population in North Tonawanda is about 30,000 people. And you think about that 30,000 and you think, how many people go to a gospel teaching church in North Tonawanda? How many people do you think? I, I don't have data on that. No one's ever done a study on that. But my guess would be maybe a few thousand or less um, some that go within North Tonawanda, some that go outside of North Tonawanda to other churches. But my guess would be, you know, maybe a few thousand. I mean, even if you kind of said maybe 5,000 people, I think that would be a very generous number to say 5,000 people attend a gospel preaching church in North Tonawanda or outside of North Tanawanda. That would mean 17%, and that would mean 83% of people either are lost or are not engaged in their faith. 25,000 people. We zoom down a little further to our families, and, and for many of us, maybe the only, we're the only Christian in our family. Maybe everybody else we know in our family doesn't know Christ. And, and we can't do the task ourselves. We need each other. We need to pray that God would send laborers and shepherds uh, to reap the harvest. Why does Jesus tell us to beg for shepherds? Number one, I think he wants our hearts, to break for the, our hearts to break for the lost like he does. He wants us to be moved by the lostness in our communities and our world. Second, he wants us to realize that we need him. We need him. We're not called to fulfill the mission of God. We're not called to just do the whole process. We're not called to cause the sun to shine, for the rain to fall down. We're not called to just plant the seeds and till the soil and do everything. Remember, Jesus says he's the Lord of the harvest. It's his project. And so we're to pray to him, asking him to send workers to reap the harvest. And as we do so, we realize it's not our task. We have a part to play, but it's not our job. Third, he wants us to realize that we need other shepherds and to praise God for them. There's no room for competition in the body of Christ because the task is too great. The task is too great for competition. You know, it's interesting in our world, uh, our world is so divided, you know, and and often there's, you know, kind of these dividing lines, and it's like, oh, I'm on this side, I'm on that side, and there's so much division in our country. But imagine that a foreign adversary came and launched a major attack on our country. You know, you think about, you know, someone like China or Russia or whoever the country might be. Imagine that they attacked a a major attack on our country. All those little divisions, they wouldn't mean anything anymore. It wouldn't matter anymore because there's a bigger enemy. Imagine from there, imagine that it was even bigger than that. Imagine that aliens came to the earth and attacked the United States and Russia and China and India and, and all the places around the world. We'd probably be calling up every country that we could and say, how do we get rid of these aliens? How do we defeat them? Because the task requires unity. The bigger the task, the more unity and the more teamwork is required. And the the, the scope of, of the task is truly large. And so there's no room for friendly fire. There's no room for competition in the body of Christ. We need to work together and pray for shepherds, laborers to reap the harvest. So he says we need to beg to earnestly pray for shepherds. The final thing that he says here is quite interesting is that we're called to be shepherds. We're called to be shepherds. Uh, Not all of us are called. I know in the scriptures there's often the shepherds kind of the leaders in the church. Not all of us are called to be leaders in the church. But all of us are called to be shepherds or laborers in the sense that we're all called to share the gospel. We're all called to reach outside of ourselves to show love to those around us. And it's really a remarkable passage because Jesus tells the disciples at the end of chapter 9 that they need to pray for workers, for laborers, for the harvest. And then in chapter 10, what does he do? He calls them to be laborers. Pray first, and then God's like, okay, part of the way I'm going to answer this prayer is that you are going to be the laborer. You are going to be the shepherd. And he calls his disciples to be shepherds and laborers for the harvest. Jesus not only calls us to pray, but there is times when we are the answer to prayer. That we see a need in someone else's life, a need in our communities, need in our world, and we pray about it, and God is like, yes, that's awesome. I've been waiting for you to pray about that. Here's what I need you to do. You need to be the answer to prayer. Not always, but there's times when he points the finger to us and says, you need to be the shepherd. You need to be the one who takes responsibility. You need to be the laborer. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 28. He gave us a marching orders when he said this. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always the end of the age we all have a part to play we all need to pray earnestly that God would send workers but sometimes God says I'm sending you I'm going to be you're going to be the answer to your prayer but oftentimes we like to pass the buck push it on to somebody else uh, there's an old story that Chuck Swindoll tells uh, about everybody somebody anybody and nobody He says this, this is a story about four people named everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. There was an important job to do and everybody was asked to do it. Everyone was sure somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought anybody would do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. We all have a responsibility. We all have a part to play to disciple those around us. And Jesus tells us a little bit more about that discipleship task, that shepherding or laboring task. And again, he tells us again that shepherding is not our work. It's God's work. He's the Lord of the harvest. He's calling us simply to walk forward into obedience. in obedience. But he also shows us that shepherding or being a laborer is hard work. It's hard work. I remember when I was a kid, when I, on my birthday, I always like to go uh, either strawberry picking or raspberry picking. I like to just kind of go out in the fields and, and pick fruit. And I remember going out and it was fun for like five minutes. You know, the sun is, is beating down and you have to bend down and, you know, it feels like, you know, you're picking for like a half hour and you got this little tiny, uh, you know, thing of raspberries and you know then you find all these ones that have bugs in them and it seemed so much it seemed like so much fun like the idea of it and there was a reward of it you know you got fresh fruit but the actual idea of actually doing it wasn't all that fun it was hard work and discipleship shepherding being a laborer it's hard work there's a reward christ sustains us doesn't mean it's easy though And sometimes we think that if we're doing what God is calling us to do, if we're we're making disciples, if we're on the right path, then it's going to be easy. That's not always the case. It's hard work. It's difficult. Doing the work of shepherding often brings us face-to-face with opposition. Uh, It makes us concerned for others. And maybe that concern for others, if they're not walking in the way they should be, maybe that's just going to grieve our hearts. And it kind of opens us up to that hurt. Opens us up to disappointment about maybe less growth than we would hope for. Sometimes to uncomfortable circumstances. There was a missionary in Africa who was once asked if he really liked what he was doing. And he gave a shocking response. He says, do I like this work? He said, no. My wife and I do not like dirt. We have reasonable, refined sensibilities. We do not like crawling into vile huts through goat refuse." But as a man to do nothing for Christ, he does not like. God pity him if not. He said, liking or disliking has nothing to do with it. We have orders to go, and we go. Love constrains us. Shepherding is hard work. God often calls us to do things that are difficult, even though he's the one who gives us the strength to do it. The final thing that he shows us in this passage is that God uses all different types of shepherds. God uses all different types of shepherds or laborers for his harvest. You think about the 12 that he called, and you know we don't know a lot about all of them, but we know this profession of some of them. We know some were fishermen. We know that Matthew was a tax collector. We know that Simon was a zealot, meaning uh, perhaps that he was trying to overthrow the Roman government. And, and Jesus brings together this kind of eclectic group of people and I think the reason he does that is because this eclectic group of people can reach different people with the gospel. He doesn't call every, you know, all fishermen. He doesn't call all tax collectors. He doesn't call all zealots. He calls different people to reach different people. And that's the way that God has formed the body of Christ. We're all different, which means that we have different skills, we have different gifts, and we can reach different people in different ways. Now, there's some people that you might be able to reach and share the love of Christ with that I never could. And vice versa, God gives us opportunities, skills, resources to be able to reach certain types of people. And that's why he calls all of us together, even though we're all different, we all have different characteristics, different um, skills, things that we're good at. But all that really matters is that we're available to him. And when we're available to him, he's going to use us for his glory. And you see, as, as you, know, you go throughout the book of Matthew and then the book of Acts, how God uses the different disciples in different ways based on the personalities that they have, the skills that they have, but it's all for Christ's glory. And so God calls us all different, but all for the glory of Christ. The question is, are we willing to be a laborer in God's harvest? Are we willing to be a shepherd to others? There's a story about a school teacher from Scotland who only had one leg, and he came to J. Hudson Taylor to offer himself for service in China. This was a different world. Travel was not as it is today. Things were not handicapped accessible. It was very difficult to travel if you had a handicap back then. But he offered himself for service in China. And Hudson Taylor, the famous missionary, said this. He said, with only one leg, why do you think of going as a missionary? George Scott replied, and he said, I do not see those with two legs going. He was available. He was willing to serve Christ. He was willing to be a laborer. He was willing to reach outside of himself in his own pursuits, his own desires, and to share the love of Christ with those around him. So to kind of bring this together, good shepherds are hard to find. Good shepherds are driven by compassion, by the love, by love for their sheep. We should plead with God, to send out more shepherds, to send out more laborers. But we also need to be open to being a shepherd or a laborer ourselves. We need to be open to being our own answer to prayer, to meeting the needs around us with the love of Christ and being ready to say yes to God. There's a man who once applied for a job as a handyman, and he was asked uh, by his prospective employer, can you do carpentry? The man answered, no, I can't. Well, what about bricklaying? Can you do bricklaying? No, I can't do bricklaying. What about electrical work? He said, no, I can't do electrical work either. Finally, the employer said this. He said, well, then tell me, what is handy about you? And the man replied, I live just around the corner. He wasn't particularly skilled, but he was close and he was available and willing. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. What is God calling you to today? Who is God calling you to be a shepherd to today? Who is God calling you to share the gospel with? Who is God calling you to share a kind word with? Maybe to write a note of encouragement. Who is God calling you to reach out with the love of Christ? Maybe make someone's day by just making them a dinner. Just bringing them something that would be of use to them. Who is God calling you to shepherd by praying for them? Who is God calling you to challenge today? Who is God calling you to encourage today? We're all called to be shepherds or laborers in God's field. We do it in different ways. He's brought us together in the body of Christ to do that using the gifts and skills that we have. But all that really matters is are we obedient? Are we available? So let's together pray for more shepherds. But also, let's say yes to God's call to be shepherds to those around us. Let's pray. Lord, will you say in your word that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Lord, as I look at the harvest of North Tonawanda and our country, there are so many people who need you. So many people who are helpless and harassed like sheep without a shepherd. People who maybe have never seen what the gospel is really about, Who've never had somebody reach out to them with sincere and no-strings-attached kind of love. Lord, I pray that you would raise up shepherds, laborers, to do your work in North Tanawanda, the surrounding region, and in our country, Lord. Lord, help us to be the shepherds, the laborers that you've called us to be. Help us most of all to be available, to have our yes on the table. When you say, go, we say, yes, where? Who? How am I going to share your love with those around me? Lord, give us the strength through your Holy Spirit to be good shepherds. We know ultimately you are the one good shepherd who lays down your life for the sheep. You've paid the ultimate price for us. Help us to follow your example. And do the same for those around us. In Christ's name I pray, amen.